Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. We are joined by Spencer Day. He's a number one Billboard jazz and pop singer and songwriter. And let's just say that you might have been seeing him in quite a number of places. He's been seen everywhere from Lincoln Center to the Hollywood Bowl. He has been seen in the press. He's been getting a lot of reviews, such as Compelling by Time Out New York, Prodigiously Talented by The Village Voice, Brilliant by The San Francisco Chronicle. The Washington Post talked about his cool jazz sensibilities and cleverly crafted tales. He's a singer, songwriter, recording, and performing artist. I've been enjoying this artist very much. Spencer Day, how are you? I'm doing well, Paul. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. It's a great pleasure. A lot of people might be wondering, where on the spectrum of music, where would you find Spencer Day? I've been listening to you, and I wonder how I would categorize you. I've been wondering that myself for for many years, and I know there's many uh, industry people who, uh, over the years, I think have have very much liked what I do, but I know that's been a constant, I guess, quandary, I don't say issue, with a lot of industry people, record labels, um, et cetera, because I've just, I've never really thought in terms of genre, I just think in terms of of writing good songs. I would say that I'm I'm a singer-songwriter first and foremost, but that I pull a lot from the great American songbook. And, you know, many, there's a lot of great contemporary people such as Nellie Mackay or Rufus Wainwright, or, you know, even Fiona Apple, tons of people who I feel are very inspired by that. Even the Beatles, you know, would credit Rogers and Hart as one of their top influences. So what I would say I like to do is to bring my love of jazz and the great American songbook, but put it in a contemporary pop aesthetic that seems relevant to, you know, the world going on today and still write about issues and love as I see it happening in the year 2018. So, you know, I would say I'm jazz inspired, but, uh, you know, I think for the jazz purists out there, I can sing jazz. I can, you know, improvise and phrase, and I love to sing standards as well. And I'm actually working on a, a record of that, I think, coming up, which I very much look forward to. But I would say first and foremost, probably singer songwriter. But, you know, I was thinking about this uh, last night, actually, a friend, because they were asking me what genre Paul Simon's Graceland would be. And I was like, wow, Hmm. (laughs) I don't know what you what you would have called that. It's kind of, you know, Afro inspired pop. And that's what's great about it. I think, you know, for a lot of musicians, I know we feel like we want to transcend those things. I think categories are important because if you're trying to find an artist or maybe you heard a song on the radio and you're trying to describe it to someone, those uh, descriptive terms matter. But on many occasions, I think those terms can be a bit limiting because I've, I've had many people say to me and I, I've gotten to write in Nashville, in Nashville many times, you're like, oh, I don't like country music or I don't like jazz. And so when you make a broad generalization, right, that you might be cutting yourself off from an experience that you might really enjoy. But I guess the short of it is I have no idea. Hmm. <laughs> You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned Graceland. I was in Washington, D.C. I saw one of Paul Simon's last concert tour shows, and he was doing Graceland, and there were certain parts of it that I was thinking, gosh, this sounds like country music, like the little pedal steel guitar part. And so that makes me wonder, if we were to go snooping through the Spencer Day 
music collection, whether it be your CDs or if we were looking through your phone, what you listen to, what would we be surprised by? Oh, geez, that's a very good question. I suppose I have more hip hop than people might think. Especially, I love some you know classics like a, a Tribe Called Quest is you know is a is a is a popular one. Um, I think I have a decent amount of country on there. Everything from Loretta Loretta Lynn, and I love Alison Krauss, and and I grew up with Johnny Cash and Patsy Cline. But I you know you would find John Coltrane, and then you would find Shostakovich and Ravel. <laughs> I mean, it would seem very musically schizophrenic. I feel like uh, to to anyone who listened. I'm trying to think of anything they would find a shocking i suppose i have a, a few what some people call guilty pleasures i don't find them guilty because i really love abba <laughs> <laughs> or others you know i just like good melodies and songwriting and, and i don't for me i don't require perfection in either a live performance when i go to see it or in a recording what i require to get excited is what i feel is authenticity and being taken musically to a place i feel I haven't been. I think what you wouldn't find is 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 a lot of very mainstream. I don't say mainstream because there's some great pop. I love Pharrell. I love Portugal, the man. You know, there's tons of great music still being written, but I don't like music that sounds like a car commercial or that sounds where everything's just perfectly in the right place and it feels like it isn't taking any risks. So I have, you know, some PJ Harvey, that might be a surprise, some Tori Amos. <laughs> so I suppose I have some, you know, what almost would be considered punk rock, the clash, <laughs> mm-hmm. David Bowie. Uh, I, de- I guess it depends. Shocking is all relative to what, uh, what other people like, but I feel like most of those things I mentioned might be a surprise, you know, for a lot of people who think I have the voice that everyone's mother wants to hear sing their favorite, <laughs> favorite wedding song. But uh, all those things are fun to pull on. And when I do a live show, one of my favorite things is to take a song like that, like Soul Love by David Bowie and do it as a bossa nova or Depeche Mode, Enjoy the Silence. Works beautifully as a bossa nova in a way. And one of the things I love to do is to see that element of surprise when people are halfway through the song and they're like, I feel like I know this. And then the look of recognition on their face. And for me, you know, when I get to do a cover, that's what I really think about is, can I put a stamp on this that really feels authentic to me and is really going to take this cover to a place that that even I wouldn't have expected it would be able to go in a somewhat effortless way. On that note, it seems like every singer has one song, either it's actually written on a piece of paper or it's just in their head. They know there's this certain song one day I'm going to get around to doing my version. As you said, I'm going to put my stamp on this song. Can you tell us about a song that you've been aching to sing? Oh, yeah, there's there's so many. As far as one that I haven't touched, and I don't know whether this will seem a cliche or not, but I remember the first time I heard it was on a juke, jukebox in Silver Lake about 20 years ago. And I teared up because I hadn't heard it before. And, and the recording that's so beautiful, I don't know what I would do with it. Or maybe I would sing it on my wedding day. But I recently on my on my Facebook fan page asked people, you know, what you know, what is a cover you'd like to hear me do? And one that I feel would be a challenge. But for whatever reason, it always struck a chord in that record of hers called First Take by Roberta Flack. But I, I really do love the 
first time ever I saw your face. I just love that song, but I don't know whether I'm up to the challenge of it, but that's one maybe on my wedding day or something like that. So that's a hard day to sing <laughs> song too without making your way through it. But I just, I, there's a simplicity to it. I love that there's no rhymes in the song, which is rare to find kind of like Moonlight in Vermont. There's no, there's no rhymes in it. I would say that as far as songs that feel well-known that always feel like, oh gosh, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to top that? You know, there's so many, it's like somewhere over the rainbow. I, we've all heard it probably too many times or hallelujah by Jeff Buckley, which I've loved to sing, but there's some that people are like, okay, we've got to put a moratorium on that. But those are the ones that I think when I step away from them, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe like Elvis or, Marilyn Monroe or other things that we're so used to seeing in our faces, pop culture, Frank Sinatra, of course, that we're so used to that it's hard to step away from it and realize that not only the cultural significance, but really see what made these people or these things so dynamic. And I feel that a lot of these songs are that way, too, that you have to really step back and, you know, get away from, you know, Moon River or something like that to really appreciate how beautiful they would be if we hadn't heard them eight million, <laughs> eight million times. And that's an amazing challenge is how do you, how do you bring yourself to something and treat that like it's something new? And that's one thing I love about performing is there's probably a few songs of mine that I've sung, I would think it a thousand times, you know, just based on all of the years and years of, of performing but every night you get to do it, it's, an, it's a challenge and an opportunity to treat it in a new way. So I think when I'm up to the challenge, I think one of those very simple, very well-known songs, but one that I can sing, hopefully with a level of intensity and sincerity that will make it feel for myself and everyone else like it's the first time. I don't know if that, answer, if that answered it, but that's quite a challenging question. A wonderful question, but a, but a challenging one, because there's so many, so many wonderful songs out there. Well, here's a challenging question, I think, for you. Where are you right now? <laughs> oh, at the, I mean, that is a challenge, too, because, you know, apart from musically where I fit, I'm, I just bounce around so much. I actually just got a gig in Cartagena, <laughs> Colombia. So I'll be down there for, for a couple of weeks. And I was just in Quebec a, a few days ago. But I'm, I, I split my time between New York City and Southern California, which for me is a nice, nice blend. I kind of, um, I lived in Hollywood for years. And I'm actually, I moved to San Diego about three and a half years, which has been wonderful for me because I work in Mexico a fair amount. And I've actually gotten to start volunteering in Mexico as well, which I'm really enjoying and working on another project called La Frontera, which is all about borders and walls, not just the obvious one, which is such, you know, so topical lately, but about between human beings on the internet. So I, I never expected that when I ended up there, that it would become like being ground zero <laughs> in the last couple of years for that issue. So that's been a wonderful contrast to New York, but I would say Despite all the places I've I've gone and I, you know, lived in London for, for a little and um but New York and San Diego <laughs> I guess is the short too. It's that's as difficult to answer as the musical one, I guess. Where does that title of your newest album come from, Angel City? I think on first glance for me, what started it was about my time living in Hollywood after I'd been living in New York and I moved there. And I think, you know, I've, you know, been up, I've been down, I've been signed to record labels. I've been, I don't want to say dropped from them, but have my, you know, contracts discontinued, which I think it's a very strange time for musicians because it's, it's difficult to be on a record label and it's difficult to not 
be on one because you know the the old traditional model is just completely blown up and nobody truthfully honestly knows where it's going but i found myself going to all these parties with people i didn't want to be with you know talking to people i didn't want to want to talk to you know in hopes of some ambiguous dream of making it and and i realized that as can happen for any artist if you're not careful you turn around and you're you're not even chasing your idea of success it's this preordained idea of what success should feel like and as we all know from so many you know famous examples there's no guarantee of happiness with that and if you buy into that then inevitably you're going to see people being rewarded for fame and success who should not be and and people who should not just myself but you know it's just you know it's not a meritocracy <laughs> entertainment and uh, i found myself getting bitter which is not a trait that i've ever really possessed and so for me it was kind of leaving los angeles to love it and kind of write these meditations from the perspective of different characters in there but also taking los angeles more than anything as a state of mind and i think any city that represents something new york of course or paris or in any place that in a beautiful way they they really are projections of what we believe them to be and um by believing these places to 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 be these things they they attract people and and what became dreams suddenly becomes reality but you know of course none of these places can live up to the you know the hopes and expectations we put on them so there's always going to be an element of heartache and a boulevard of broken dreams in any any city that's built on dreams but that is what is beautiful about them is we keep uh, though we innately can never find it the drive to find it is what propels us on to you know heights of artistic greatness and and inspiration so it's it's really a search for for meaning and for this uh, perfect place that can innately not exist at least on earth do you have a residency coming up oh i do um i've i've actually been doing it for the last 6 months in new york it was only supposed to be for 3 and we're extended through january or it might even be through March now at a at a wonderful new venue called Green Room 42 which is in a gorgeous hotel called the Yotel <laughs> at 42nd Street and 10th Avenue in New York City and this is the first time in New York City I've been doing a residency which is this awesome opportunity to try out new songs and and I think really show kind of the variety of, of the different projects I've written for not just for myself but for other people and have some special guests coming in to join me and it's been really wonderful cuz each show has been able to be different i'm i'm working on on one in los angeles but we we don't have that uh, to announce quite yet but we should have one uh, starting in hollywood coming up in february i think but it's been it's been great to have i was wondering what it was like to have a residency you know there was a musician friend of mine and we were traveling down to key west we were looking at this guy or listening to this guy perform who performed every day throughout the year at the same place and he said man that would be so nice not having to go and find the point of contact at this place find where can i put my guitar case where you know where's the sound guy what's his name oh he doesn't want to talk to me how nice it would be to have a residency is he right is it a great thing i imagine a mix of both i would say overall it's a great thing i think the comfort of knowing the sound guy of knowing the venue of seeing it build and having a venue which i'm very lucky with that's that's very supportive of you and what you do and what you're trying to and and that i think in new york city is very rare to find because i think you know there's some 
some very shady and or jaded club owners out there. And I've just, it's everyone who works there is really excited and, and genuinely likes the art. And I think that's one thing that's true about my friends who, who play a lot at Joe's pub where I've also done some shows. And I would say overall, it's a, primarily a really positive thing. I think, you know, when your commute isn't that long too, cause it's very, it's very exhausting, especially to do a one-off where you're, going, I don't know, you know, to the Philippines for one show and then back or this one in like Cartagena, you know, as, as Herbie Hancock, I think once said, they, you know, they don't pay me to, to play, they pay me to travel. And that, <laughs> that is how I feel. So yeah, anything I've, you know, I've done a few things where it's, you know, I've been at a very nice hotel and the hotel actually is where the venue is this particular, you know, gorgeous hotel i i don't i have an apartment in new york so i <laughs> i just take the train down a few stops at rush hour the biggest drag i would say is just trying to get through times square <laughs> when you're rushing to get to a show because it's hard to imagine that i was one of these people who enjoyed being in the crowds there because now like any new yorker there's a, you know a line of tourists from iowa who <laughs> are doing exactly what i did when i first came which is bumping into each other looking up at all these tall buildings and all the new yorkers are like bobbing and weaving trying to get around them so that's the only difficulty for me about doing the show because it's, you know, just off of Times Square. So, you know, stressful for that. But yeah, I mean, in 15 minutes, I'm there. You can't beat that. And and it's just, it's such a pleasure to play there. You know, it's just been a great experience. When somebody comes in, they they hear one of your shows, they, they go see you. What would be one of the most touching, the most soul-filling things that a fan someone from the audience has told you about one of your performances or about your music in general? Well, one thing that really, you know, cause there's a lot of soul crushing parts. Like I suppose there are to any, any vocation is, you know, dealing with the industry, people wondering how many Instagram followers you have and all these other things that really have nothing to do with music. But when I get to see, you know, I could be having a day where I'm feeling, you know, kind of frustrated and you know before i do the show not not that into it or feeling you know kind of down like we all can get but you know when i get to connect with an audience i'm able to see in their eyes how much it means to them and when i've had people come up and say you know i love this you help me forget about all my problems what i've, I've always tried to say to them is you know i'm really here to help you remember what it is that we may have forgotten and they help me do that too they help remind me of how beautiful it is to, you know, be there with other people and we're help we're, you know, we're hurt by other people, but we're also healed by other people. And they do that for me in, in the best nights. It's this really beautiful symbiotic relationship. But a few months ago, I had a woman who came and she told me that her husband had died of cancer a year before and the last date night they had had. And he was so excited to go because they hadn't been able to see me was to come see me play. And this was one of her first shows, I think, in, in the last year that she had actually stepped out to go see. And so her telling me that we both kind of teared up because for me, I may have had a night where I was just went into it thinking, okay, this will be fun. And then reminded that for her this evening took on this whole other level of importance. So now when I try to sing, I really try to remember that, that more than money, the real valuable thing that should always be honored and respected is people are giving you their time or energy. And, you know, I did a show once in, in Iowa and there was a blizzard and so I think there were maybe six people there. This is years ago. And, you know, the venue was like, hey, if you want to cancel, you know, that's fine. And the guys in the band, you know, we almost had more people on stage <laughs> than in the audience. But then we, we found out that those people had driven, you know, over three hours to get there. 
And if we had canceled it, and, and it meant so much to them, and it ended up being a really special night. And that's one thing I love about this venue is it's it's big enough that you have a good amount of energy coming out at you, but it's also small enough where it feels like I can be hosting a party and really have a beautiful, intimate connection with people. And you get to see what it means to them, and that helps it remind you how much it means to you. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, those six people or so in Iowa are never, ever going to forget that night. You know, (laughs) nothing else for how long it took them to get home. (laughs) Yeah, I hope not. I I haven't. And it was a good reminder because I had a friend I was playing with and we did something similar to that. I think, you know, a few years before, which for some reason, you know, some nights you're playing for a thousand people. Some nights, you know, it's, it's much less. Fortunately, these days I don't. I don't typically play for six people, which is, of course, a challenge. But he wasn't really that engaged, and he was kind of just going through the motions. And after the show, I kind of was like, well, what, you know, what's that about? And he was like, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there's like no one there. And I kind of, in a loving way, reprimanded him that every, every time you play for someone matters. You also never know who's in the audience as far as, you know, someone of influence or importance. But, you know, every time matters. And, and for, for every person, it may just be another night for you. But the audience really helps me out because they, they can remind me that it's not just any other night. This present moment is the only one we have. And I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. It may well be the last time I sing, you know, so every, every night matters. And when you do have an experience like that, you know, the people are helping you remember that as well as you helping them. You know, Spencer, you're in good company because uh, I read this, this article the other day about a very iconic artist, Bob Dylan, performing for an audience of one. So, <laughs> oh wow, that's that's hard. <laughs> no, I mean he did it intentionally. He was he wanted to do it. So, I I th- thought that was really cool. But that makes me wonder. There's so many singers out there. Who would Spencer Day like to sing a duet with? Oh boy. Yeah, that is that is quite a um boy, there's so many. You know, maybe Katie Lang. I feel like that would be really good. I feel like our vocal ranges, because she's you know, got this beautiful alto, would be kind of, you know, she sings the best harmonies with other people of anyone. I don't know. I feel like Emmylou Harris would be a pretty a pretty great one, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a, oh gosh, there's there's so many, you know, the girls from First Aid Kit are, are wonderful. But yeah, I'd probably, you know, I'll, put, I'll put Katie Lang at the top of the list. Why not? Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I thought all of the choices that you you mentioned were really good. Great singers. There's not enough first aid kit fans anymore as I think there should be. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad you know them. I think they're just wonderful. Yeah, I just love them. What would you say is the greatest well of inspiration for you when it comes to writing? Thank oh, once again, a very wonderful question. I'm just uh just thinking about it. Um I think obviously love songs and, and especially heartbreak, believe it or not, most, you know, most songwriters, heartbreak propels you to write more than, than love gone right. Much harder to write from that perspective. And, and uh, you know, most of your favorite songs, actually, if you dissect the lyrics, uh, the majority of them are actually about either recovering from love gone wrong, saying, you know, I'm going to rise above this or generally even more codependent that of how can I ever live without you if you're not in my life. And those are good, but I, you know, I really like to write from characters or find kind of more of a, 
human perspective. And I think because of everything going on in the world and even more so in the country, I think for me, that's more inspiring too, is to write from the perspective of other characters. And I'm working on a song from the perspective of a deportee right now. And I'm imagining what that would, what that would feel like and seeing the world through that way, because that's when the lyrics come to me more. If it's just like, you know, write a love song, I'm, I'm stumped. I'm there. But if it's like write a love song, between, you know, an acrobat in the circus and, uh, you know, a convict that's on the run for the, from the law, I'm like, okay, give me 30 minutes. <laughs> I'll knock this out, you know? So I think having specific details and a point of view, but something that still feels universal. There's a few songs of mine that I pulled out last night that I haven't done in a while, one called The Weeping Willow and one called Shadow Man, which is um, kind of in uh, Carl Jung sense about embracing that we all have the potential for darkness and until we can acknowledge that you know it will keep running us and to step into the light we've got to kind of step into the darkness to set your shadow free those are probably the ones that i i feel when i look at on paper i'm i'm like good job sir to myself because it feels it feels really unique and something that dare i say feels inspired that i I don't know where it came from out of me, but uh, I feel that's when I feel the most inspired is that in some small way, hopefully I can get people to think and myself and think I never want to preach to people about I have the answers because I certainly don't, but I want to invite them to search for them with me about what love means, about what life means, about this mortal coil and, and what, you know, what's going on politically and division and the desire to rise above that and just be a human. So I I think anything that comes from a more universal experience is what inspires me the most, especially lately. I always like to end the interviews very open-ended, incredibly open-ended. Just to give you the microphone, for anyone who's listening in, what would you say to them? I think I would say that every day is an opportunity to re-engage with the world and with yourself and to, to start again. And we can't, I think a lot of people are feeling depressed because of all these elements around us that we can't control, but we can't control what happens, what happens in Washington or what happens in Iraq or all these other places, but we can control how we react to those things and our dynamics with every person. So I guess today for myself and for them of reminding them that what might seem like an insignificant thing to you of, of sincerely smiling at someone of sincerely doing what you can do to create a revolution around you, that there's, there's a great amount of empowerment and sense of purpose that comes from, from knowing that you can, you can only control what's really immediately around you, but that's no small thing. And to, to, to remember that, that, you know, the, the world needs you. And the world needs you to keep believing that we can, that we can come together. Because uh, when, we, when we do that, that's when really wonderful things happen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been joined by Spencer Day. You can check out SpencerDay.com. He's also on Facebook and Twitter. Spencer, thank you very much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's been a total pleasure. It's been an honor. Have a wonderful day. You too, Paul. Thanks so much. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. 
If you enjoy these interviews, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. You can help us by listening on the free Radio Public app. The show can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at The Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour.